It's the reading of God's word. My beloved friends, let us continue to love each other. Since love comes from God, everyone who loves is born of God and experiences a relationship with God. The person then who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God, because God is love. So you can't know him if you don't know love. This is how God showed his love for us. God sent his only son into the world so we might live through him. This is the kind of love we are talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage they've done to our relationship with God. My dear, dear friends, if God loved us like this, we certainly ought to love each other. No one has seen God ever, but if we love one another, God dwells deeply within us, and his love becomes complete in us, perfect love. This is how we know we're living steadily and deeply in him and he in us. He's given us life from his life, from his very own spirit. Also, we've seen for ourselves and continue to state openly that the Father sent his Son as Savior of the world. Everyone who confesses that Jesus is God's Son participates continuously in an intimate relationship with God. We know it so well, we've embraced it, heart and soul, this love that comes from God. God is love, and when we take up permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God, and God lives in us. This way, love has the run of the house, becomes at home, and mature in us so that we're free of worry on Judgment Day. Our standing in the world is identical with Christ's. There is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear, since fear is crippling a fearful life fear of death, fear of judgment, is one not yet fully formed in love. We, though, are going to love. Love and be loved. First we were loved, now we love. He loved us first. If anyone boasts, I love God, and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he is a liar. If he won't love the person he can see, how can he love the God he can't see? The command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. We began last Sunday thinking about Advent, about the arrival of Jesus. And uh, when we began to think about Jesus arriving, of course, we think back to that first arrival, the baby in the manger. God sent his son. But we also look ahead to the next arrival of Jesus coming. 
We started, as Char led us last Sunday, growing out of a conversation that we all as the elders had, began with Psalm 126, that we've been uh, reminded of again this morning. It seems like God wasn't just talking to the elders about Psalm 126, but he might have been whispering that to a few other people in our midst. But Psalm 126 in verse 4 uh, has this little phrase that stands out as the psalm is reflecting on, wow, when God does something, it's, it's like waking up from a dream. It's just almost beyond our imagination. But Psalm 126 verse 4 says this, but now God, do it again. This amazing thing that you've done, not just once, not just twice, more than just several times, the ways in which you, God, have come into our lives, the ways that you've taken care of us, the ways that you've taken us uh, from sadness and tears, and suddenly we find ourselves filled with joyous laughter. The ways, God, that you've walked with us in the most challenging and difficult times of life and allowed us in that time and coming through that time to say to other people, look what God has done. And for people to look at us and say, wow, I can't believe you made it through. And the only thing we can say is, It's not that I made it through, but that God came through it with me. In Psalm 126, verse 4, though, the poet continues to reflect and says, And now, God, do it again. Do it again. Bring rains into our drought-stricken lives. And that was what we focused on in the first Sunday of Advent last week, looking at the reality that Advent longing, waiting for God starts in darkness and is filled with hope, a confidence that God is going to do something and the light begins to come on. But the question then that sits in front of us is, okay, I get it, there's, there's darkness, there's drought, there's difficulty, there's challenge, there's tears, there's chaos, chaos from outside of me, plenty of chaos that I make from inside of me. Maybe I'm not the only one who does that to their own lives. But the chaos outside, the chaos inside, and living in that, and the light starts to come on, and we realize that we're hoping for something, we're longing for something, we're wanting something from God. But that puts us in the place of needing to ask the question then, what is it that I really want? I sense that I'm longing for something. 
I, I can even reflect the poetic words. God, in many ways, life is drought-stricken, and so bring rains, there, uh, rain down, water the soil, bring good crops, beautiful metaphor. I can take hold of that, but to be honest, I have a hard time in life identifying what it is I really want. Um, I'll tell you one thing I want this morning. I wish I had my sermon notes. Full disclosure time this morning. I, I have some notes. They're not my sermon notes. This is just the text of the, of the scripture on one side, just like is in my Bible here. Thank you, by the way, Refuge family, for this wonderful Bible that you shared with me as... Uh, as I was uh, commissioned uh, to be part of the elders here. Uh, so there's the text, and over here is Mike Wilcox's little translation of the Greek text of this passage in 1 John. And no notes to go with it. All that work, ask my wife, all that work yesterday in the midst of talk about chaos. Uh, Friday night came home, the water heater was... Uh, sharing its contents with the garage floor. Uh, and so in the midst of trying to get the water heater replaced and things taken care of at home and preparation for this and notes taken and notes entered into uh, devices and notes printed and handwritten notes added to it and they're not here. So what is it that I want? Well, I do want, I wish, I long for the notes. But that really doesn't in any way fully describe what's going on in my life today. It's only, it's only a piece, it's only out here on the surface. By the way, I suppose it's God's way of saying, thank you, Mike, for all that preparation you did. Uh, I'd like you to just go in and share from 1 John chapter 4. Uh, and just point people to that. Don't worry about all your clever ways of putting it together. I already had my servant, John, write it down for you. And just bring people back to reflect on that. I do believe, though, when I look at human experience and... I take my human experience for just about 60 years of this life in this world, and I sit with people and I listen to their stories day after day after day, seven and eight hours a day of their experiences. I think I might be able to say with a fair level of confidence that what we are really longing for is love. That all the way down in the center of the human heart, whoever you may be, whatever your story may be on this day, whichever chapter of life you're living in, whatever it is that you anticipate coming up, 
that somewhere deep, deep down under all the other wantings and desirings, the deepest longing is for love. And I would contend from what God teaches us in his word as our creator that he's made us not just to love, long for any old love, but specifically for the kind of love that begins and ends, that starts and finishes, that launches and reaches its completion in God, the love of God. And that, I think, is what First John the entire letter, really, but this section that we've taken out of chapter 4 for reflection this morning is teaching us. This is what I think God wants to say to us with and without my notes of preparation. In his preparation, we sang again this morning, O come, O come, Emmanuel. You see, we're asking for the God who will be with us to come. I I compare that in my mind to, um, now I'm going to date myself, how many of us in this room were around in 1971? One, two, three, four, five, you know, okay, five or six of us were around in 71. How many, how many of you have heard John Lennon's song, Happy Christmas, War is Over? Okay. How many enjoy that song? I do. Very much. John Lennon, Yoko Ono, in the midst of war-torn world, whether we... (laughs) agree with their stance, whether we see eye to eye on their politics or on anything else, they realized in that time that things were not right and created some music and some poetry, invited, brought in some children to sing with them. And the gist of it is, it could be a happy Christmas if only the war would end. To the point where the refrain sung in counterpoint in the background is, war is over if you want it. War is over now. If you just want it enough, and you just work hard enough to get it. The chaos can be done. And that would make for a happy Christmas. And while I really appreciate the song musically and lyrically, I'm left feeling like it's just not quite enough. Now, somewhere in the notes that I prepared, back at home, I assume, 
not in the car, not my po- I checked all my pockets, believe me, 10 times up here. Uh, if you were to look at the words to O Come Emmanuel that we sang this morning, if you were to look also at the well-known Christmas carol, O Come, All Ye Faithful, but do a search for all the verses that include verses that we don't typically sing. But there's a fifth stanza to O Come, All Ye Faithful that I had carefully written down to share with you. And now you have homework to go home and search out verse 5, which we, uh, I can't remember ever singing it. I discovered it in relation to thinking about this message. That points us to we the sinners standing looking, reflecting on that baby in a manger who are compelled to say, if anybody finds it, by the way, you can raise your hand and I'll have you read it for us. I I look at all the devices, nobody's paying attention to me anymore. (laughs) But in essence, the poetry drives us to say, who would not love thee? baby in the manger. That kind of love compels a response from me. Uh, Maybe it was just my desperation in not having notes, but when the Stack family was up here with the girls and uh, Imogen and Colette and, and looking at the beauty of the love, could you tell that Scott and Marisa love their girls? Was that at all evident up here? We might have just looked at that, closed our eyes for three minutes of meditation and gone on home because there was the picture of love. You know, others have reflected on this, but I think perhaps the the two most challenging things to get right in this life are love and God. Um, I would say we could survey the other people who do counseling therapy, others who just have conversations with friends, How often have we been confronted with the essence of what people are struggling with is their understanding and their practice and their reception of love and their understanding and their practice of the knowledge of God. And in the passage that Char read for us after... uh, we sorted him out to which passage we were reading this morning. I love you, Char. You know that, right? As we read from 1 John chapter 4, twice you heard it. In verses 8 and in verses 16, simple three-word phrase, God is love. And uh, 
that little three-word statement is unfolded by John in this letter with five underlines, with five explanations, each of which, and this is uh, a bit challenging to see in some of the English translations of this passage, but five times in this passage, verses 7 through 21 of 1 John 4, John uses these words, in this, in this, and 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 in this, you can see it. He helps us to understand what love is and who this God of love is. The first time John says it is in verse 9. In this is revealed the love of God. Or as the New Living Translation has it in verse 9, God showed how much he loved us. In this, this is love. How did God show us the degree to which he loved us? See, if I have to work without notes, you have to work without notes too, okay, so. What's that? Yeah, I heard it. He gave his only son. Okay. Notice what plays out with God's love here. Love needs to be shown. Love needs to be focused outward and it needs to be done in a very specific way. And this is the love that God shows us. God showed his love in this. And then I I love the way the Greek New Testament puts it because it takes the sentence and it intentionally gets it all out of order. The average way of saying it would be to say God sent his son. But in order to catch our attention in the days before, you know, bold print and colored fonts and fancy ways, italics, underlines, sidebars, headings, pop-up advertisements, no way to get our attention except this. John turns the sentence on its head and he says this, in this is revealed the love of God that his son, the one and only, he sent, God sent. Okay. Now, it's not good English, it's not even good Greek, but it makes you stop and think about it. His one and only son, he sent, God sent into the world. See, I think uh, certainly my study of psychology has reminded me my interactions with people have underlined it and a few minutes of reflection in my own life would bring it out. How uh, How do the little ones 
Any kids in here? I can hear them. It's hard to see from up here, you know. Y'all are sitting in the dark. Maybe the light needs to dawn upon us with the dawning of, of Christmas. Uh, are there any kids out there? He said to the kids. There's a few. How do you know that your mommy and daddy love you? It's real quiet. How do you know that your mom and daddy love you? Anybody can answer. They do things for you. And they take care of you. I heard, I think I heard, maybe I'm, maybe I'm just wishful thinking. I thought I heard somebody say they hug me. Did anybody say that? I think there are two essentials to love that seen from the moment of birth of an infant human creature made in the image of God and the two key elements of, of the expression of love initially from mother to child spreading out from there are touch, that is being there, holding on, hugging, cuddling, rocking, all the things we do, touch, and communication, both listening and speaking. And frankly, it barely matters what the words are of the conversation. It's the tone, right? Mom's confession time. What's the weirdest combination of words and sounds you ever said to your infant child. <laughs> and if we write that out on a page and tried to understand it, it makes no sense. Does it mean anything to that infant child's heart? You bet it does. The studies continue even in psychology that does not know God. A child every time will choose warmth, embrace, softness, even over food. Infant mammals would rather starve to death than to be away from touch. And the sounds of the communication that go with that. In this is love. God revealed it. God sent it out to us. God put it in us. His son, his one and only son, God sent into the world so that we could live through him. Okay? From the darkness of this world, even the darkness of this world in this time, can you feel the lights coming on? Hope. God will do something. God, you've done it before. God, would you do it again? Bring rain into our drought-stricken lives. There's hope. There's a certainty. There's a confidence. And that confidence allows us to turn our longing for love to God. 
The second in this that John shares with us as he explains to us what it means, that he plays out for us what it means for God to be love, is in verse 10. In this, verse 10, or as the New Living Translation says it, this is real love. Not that we loved God. I think the message said once upon a time, right? <laughs> it, it's not that God saw that you were loving on him until he said, oh, I'm going to love you too. God initiated the love. In this is the love, not that we loved God, but rather that he loved us. Paul uh, puts it this way in Romans 5, uh, using phrases like this. You know what? When we were utterly helpless... Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people wouldn't even die for a righteous person, although somebody might die for someone who's especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Another characteristic of genuine love is that love takes the initiative. For years, for decades, I have sat with married couples who say, if she would only love me, I would love her. If he would only make the first move, then I would love him. Now, believe me, I, I know marriage is complex and complicated, and I am not aiming to be simplistic here. And we can talk another time about what happens to marriages when, for example, mental illness and trauma enter into a marriage that complicate things even further. I'm not aiming to be naive and not aiming to condemn any one of you. But I would like the word to speak to us deeply today. Love initiates. Love does not wait for the other to initiate. In this is love. Not that we began by loving God. but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice. Love initiates in a sacrificial way. If we are to love each other, which is where this passage is going to end us up, then we must first get hold of the deep reality that, Mike, God loved you 
when you didn't deserve it. I won't stand up here and point at each one of you. (laughs) Do it yourself. Take that phrase. Name your own self into that phrase one by one, row by row, seat by seat, section by section. You didn't love God first, but he loved you first. He started it out, and you get to respond to that. God initiated it. You know, this is great without notes. I could just go on all morning with whatever comes to me while I'm standing here. Let me move us quickly through the next two when John says in this as he unfolds it. Verse 13 teaches us in this we know. This is how we get to know love. God gives us his spirit And we have testimony of that as people who've seen it with their own eyes and experienced it can come and share it with us. The Father sent his Son into the world. We get that, but catch this in verse, uh, starting in verse 13. In this we know that in him we reside and he resides in us. Next characteristic of God's love, it takes up residence. It's a bit of the challenge of the Christmas season because the season comes and then the season goes. Even if we stretch it out to Advent, so four weeks leading up to Christmas week, and we say that, yes, there's hope and there's love and there's joy and there's peace. But then the season ends and we go on with our Januaries and Februaries, March and April, May, June, July. And if it's 2020 again, we go, you know, February, 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 March, 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 April, Over and the time stretches out. But genuine love doesn't just come for a visit one time a year. We know that we reside in God and He resides in us and He gave us His Spirit to make that true and to powerfully bring it to pass. Next principle of love is found in verse 17 when we see in this is completed the love with us so that we can have great confidence in the day of judgment. Just a passing notice of this. Anybody here ever struggled with a level of confidence in either the love you have for someone else or the love they have for you? You ever 
in on and don't you know spouses that are sitting together you know kind of turn and go hey. have you ever even had that nagging little doubt in the back of your mind is is it really real okay. saw this just yesterday with my wife run around we're trying to get the water heater thing handled the plumbers running in and out and Home Depot gets involved, and you know the complexity. All of a sudden, I was wishing we were renting a house again instead of owning. In the middle of all that, everything going on, trying to pay some attention to this passage to put my notes together, which wouldn't be used anyway, as it turned out. So there's a perspective shift. And Joan says, could we talk about a few things I've been thinking about this week? I'll tell you how twisted love can get in the human heart. What do you think my first thought was? Oh, crap, I'm in trouble. What have I done? My wife says, hey, can we talk about some things that have been on my mind? My mind immediately goes to what have I done? I've blown it. I'm in trouble. There's going to be judgment. There's going to need... Be, I don't even know what I've done. I actually had a pretty good week. I don't think I did anything, but I'm afraid there's some secret thing I've done that's been discovered. Okay. And so my heart goes up in my throat. My twisted, devious little mind says, I don't know what I'm going to be accused of, but here's the defense I'm going to use. Here's some corroborating evidence. I'm gonna, I don't even know what the charge is. I'm already making my... Okay. Now, I know you're laughing, right, because I'm the only one who does this. No, you're laughing because you have your own version of this, too. It turns out that, having just moved into a new home, Joan simply wants to talk about some ideas. Should these pictures go there? Should that bookshelf go over here? Very simple, very everyday stuff. But in this world of struggle and challenge and my own deviousness and my own suspicions, and my own ignorance, and my own rush to judgment, the love that God has is shown to us. It's focused outward. It's initiated by God. It takes up residence. God brings it to completion, and it gives me confidence. John ends his exploration of God's love with this. We see it in verse 21. This is the commandment that we have from God. He's given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. The one who is loved by God needs, wants, gets to gets to love the other 
brothers and sisters around them. Or as verse 11 says it, coming from another angle, dear friends, since God loved us that much, surely we ought to love each other. Now let me suggest this. If you're having difficulty giving love to each other, or if you are having difficulty receiving love from someone around you, before you start working on that relationship, would you please remember what God says to us, that this love, the love that you and I receive from God is what initiates all of all other love. If I have trouble loving my wife, my starting point to work on that is to remember the love that God has for me. If I have trouble when my wife who after all these, you know, three and a half decades plus, says, uh, could we talk about a few things I've been thinking about and I'm, my heart is struck with terror. I need to start not by building my defense. And certainly, I mean, we didn't get into, it's offensive to Joan. Why would I assume that about her? That's not her. That, that all arose from within me and roots that go clear back in my story. But when my heart is struck by terror and I find it difficult to receive love from someone else in confidence, my starting place needs to be, Mike, wait a minute, stop. Hear the words of God again. My son, my only son, I sent him to you. And maybe from that point, I could actually learn to love. Surely from that point, I ought to be able to give and to receive love from the people around me. Father, we are aware I am certainly aware of my own weaknesses, my own forgetfulness, <laughs> leaving the notes at home. Deeper than that, my own forgetfulness of how much you've done for us. And Lord, we, we stand up not barely an hour ago and we said, I believe in God the Father Almighty. We said that you sent your only son to suffer and die and who rose again. And Lord, how quickly we forget. 
bring these things back to our minds. Underline them like your apostle John who wrote it down. Will you in your spirit whisper to us and tell us through your word and tell us through the people around us again. This is it. This is it. Mike, this is it. People of God, this is it. Pay attention. And do it, Lord, because of your son, Jesus Christ, who came for us so that we can really live. Amen.